This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 30th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, a mountain update from Telski, locals look to the new year, in Telluride's early days, a trip to Zermatt, and a mountain weather forecast. Christmas came late for skiers in Telluride, and it came in great billowing berms of white. After a disappointingly dry December, the skies finally opened this post-Christmas week, and snow is pouring onto the mountain peaks. Skiers out for the holiday have glowing reports on the change in weather. Uh, phenomenal. A lot of powder. Hopefully for it to snow while skiing. Haven't had that in a couple of years. That's Austin Stevens from El Paso, Texas. Thursday morning arrived as one of the first powder days of the season during the ski area's busiest week. Outages at multiple lifts left skiers waiting in long lines. But when asked about the wait, many skiers didn't seem to mind. Honestly, from my perspective, not too bad. I usually ski in Lake Tahoe, so the lines get pretty bad there. But I've talked to some of the locals and they, they obviously think it's much longer than usual. That's Ryan Burke visiting from Illinois. Skier Rochelle Browning says that while lift lines ran long on Thursday, the outlook has since improved. Yeah, lines are a lot better today than they were yesterday. Conditions are great. We're from Oklahoma, so this is amazing compared to Oklahoma. <laughs> no, it's been good. It was fun today. A lot fewer lift delays. The last two days were crazy. Today was a lot better. On Friday morning, VP of Sales and Marketing for Telski, Patrick Latcham, says high traffic on the mountain combined with lift closures contributed to a hectic ski day earlier this week. Yeah, this is peak visitation time. We're, we're in the midst of it. Certainly felt every bit of it yesterday morning um, in full transparency. That's not the, the guest experience we pride ourselves on or, or want to deliver. We just, unfortunately, with a, with a snow morning, and, and also some mechanical lift issues. We really felt that pressure. That, that first couple hours yesterday morning was, was a tough one for everyone. Looking ahead, Latcham is excited to announce this ski area is poised to open the mountain's front side as soon as Saturday morning. The dry early season has delayed the opening of that essential terrain, but a mixture of snowfall and snowmaking should allow a path down into town to open momentarily. You know, the big update and what people are wondering about right now is, is ski access into town, um, which is obviously the, the biggest and number one priority right now. So that really helps us disperse our guests and, and reduce the, the gondola wait times from Mountain Village into Telluride. So that's, that's priority number one. And I'm happy to share that our goal is to open that tomorrow. Um, and, and things are looking good for that. So we've got a lot of groomers out there kind of spreading some things out and making sure we have some good access there. On the question of Chair 9, which was originally supposed to open before Christmas, Latcham says the mountain still expects to have the chairlift operating within the next month. You know, we don't have an exact date, uh, but we are on schedule for what I'll, I'll call our updated uh, target date, which is uh, our updated time frame, which is late January. Um, and I think, you know, I'm very confident we won't be in, in February without that lift running. Um, so... I think everyone can expect to have the lift running in late January and to have that terrain here in the very near future. 
The terrain serviced by Chair 9, which can be accessed from other lifts further up the mountain, will be open before the chairlift itself. Latcham says those runs will be skiable in the very near future. Latcham adds that Telski's New Year's Eve torchlight parade is not to be missed. Beginning in the village around 6.30 p.m. Saturday, Telski instructors will parade down the mountain into town. Fireworks in Mountain Village will follow. New Year's resolutions. Not everyone's a fan, but for some, the new year offers a blank slate, an opportunity for change, and a chance to reflect on what's important. It's also a time to celebrate highlights of the past year and maybe even leave a few things behind. KOTO's Carol Pallone spoke to a few folks this week who were willing to share their reflections and goals. Uh, my name is Claybrook Penn. Uh, I hate resolutions, Kara. I want to stop being in my head. I want to, like, get out of my head more. Yeah. I want to continue having fun. I want to continue playing music. My name is Kate. And mm -hmm. where are you from? I'm um, Scottsdale, Arizona. You know what? I just always want to be a better person every, every year. There's no specific thing. My name is Elodie. My name is Marilyn. My name is Bree. Um, one thing that I would like to leave behind in 2022 is just probably just being unproductive with like my schoolwork and stuff and I just want to get things done more efficiently. Um, yeah, I guess just negative, you know, energy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've been trying to care not what people think about me, so I sort of just want to leave like caring a lot behind in 2022 and care less about that in 2023. I'm Jill Wilson and a highlight for me in 2022 was seeing both my daughter and my husband on the stage. I hope to see more of that in 2023. And I guess just a mantra for 2023 would be daily movement. Doesn't have to be a full crazy workout, just daily movement. Hi, Sarah Landerview. For 2023, I'm gonna listen to Kodo more. You recording? I'm hot. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is Nate Thomas. I am Bullwheel Riders Anonymous. I think the highlight of 2022 for me was I got my EMT and joined the National Registry. I got to try out for Ski Patrol. I didn't make it, but it was still awesome. Um, and got promoted again to supervisor for Lift Ops, which has also been awesome. Kodo. I'm now on Kodo. I'm talking to you guys. Warren Gilbreth. I'm excited to leave behind moving, packing boxes, and the stress of looking for housing. And what about 2023? What are you looking forward to? Playing music, duh. My name is Kitty Holbrook, um, and in 2022, that was a big year for homecoming for me. Um, and I think in 2023, I'm looking forward to homemaking. Hey, this is Matt Hoish listening to Kodo all the way from Cambridge in the UK. And a highlight for 2022 for me was learning to foray for mushrooms. And an intention for 2023 for me is probably drinking less coffee. Love you, Kodo.
Looking ahead to 2023, one of the major projects facing stakeholders in Telluride in Mountain Village is the effort to replace the gondola. Within the next four years, a new operating and funding agreement and an entirely new gondola itself will have to be in place. Rudy Davison, a historian here in Telluride and former publisher of the Telluride Times, remembers that the original idea for installing a gondola came from a 1979 trip to Zermatt, Switzerland. But, Davison says, this journey to the Alps was no simple vacation. This is what we printed in the Telluride Times on June 7, 1979. The purpose of the tour is for businessmen, developers, hoteliers, restaurateurs, planners, and officials of Telluride to take a first-hand look at the Swiss Alpine Resort. So it was a fact-finding mission. And as I says, it was open to anyone. So there was quite a wide variety of people that went. Davidson, who moved to Telluride in 1974, was on the trip. The trip was organized by stakeholders in the early days of Telluride skiing era, who were faced with planning a resort community in a scrappy mining town with unpaved streets and little infrastructure to speak of. Zermatt, meanwhile, was a well-developed resort with many of the same geographic features found in Telluride. Thus, it was selected as a sort of model. Zermatt was, had a lot of similarities to Telluride. One, it was an isolated mountain community at the end of a, well, I wouldn't call it a box canyon, but an old glacial valley. And it had stunning scenery. Primarily, the Matterhorn was right in your face, which is an absolutely dynamically beautiful mountain. And Telluride, of course, has stunning mountain scenery around it. Population-wise, it was about the same population. But tourist-wise, they could handle, I think it was like 10,000 tourists, and Telluride could handle maybe 1,500 or so. A town finance research trip halfway around the world was not universally popular. Political cartoons from the Telluride Times proved some residents had snarky comments about this tax-funded European vacation. Davison says the county was invested in the planning process, if not the trip itself. Because the commissioners were really interested in getting a handle on the growth that was anticipated for the east end of the Telluride Valley. Uh, but they did not support going on the Zermatt trip. They figured it was a boondoggle, as did a lot of people in Telluride. So they refused to go and said that they would talk with their town counterparts when they got back to get debriefed. Davison remembers the gondola, which the Telluridians on the trip, including ski area developers Ron and Joyce Alred, discovered, was not the marvel we know today. And the gondolas primarily were just big box, um, single gondola cabins that one went up and one came down. They didn't have a string of gondolas like we have now. That was still sort of a development stage. And I believe at the end of the trip, Ron and, and Joyce went and actually visited with, uh, oh, I forget the manufacturer, but they showed them the prototype, which I understand is what eventually got to Telluride. And the gondola was a lot more efficient for the Telluride type of use. Over the years, Telluride's gondola has grown and flourished, Davison says. I'm not sure if there's any original cars left. They've been replaced with upgraded cars of the same type. And in the early days, Ron had triggers 
because the gondolas were, there weren't that many on the whole line and they were spaced pretty far apart because there weren't that many people using the gondola. So as the skier days improved, then Ron agreed to buy more gondolas and attach them to the, to the gondola line. Now, I assume it's pretty much maxed out and at full capacity. Davison says it's possible that looking to other models and mountain towns might help guide Telluride's decisions today, just as traveling to Zermatt did some 40-plus years ago. Because Telluride is small, it makes it hard for people to live here unless they have the wealth to afford to buy a property or, or spend the money for rentals, etc. Um, that is probably where you could go to other ski resort type of communities and, and see how they're handling, you know, where does the workforce live? Where is the affordable housing? How do they create it? Uh, so Telluride is trying to address that. Davison adds, however, going out in search of other models can only get us so far because the isolation and severity of this landscape is both our greatest challenge and what makes Telluride unique. If you've gone to Vail, use that as any comparison, you can see that it's just spread east to west along the I-70 corridor. And Telluride is going to remain small because of geographic <laughs> location. I mean, it's in a narrow glacial valley with steep-sided mountains on either side with you know one road that comes in and out. Really, the, the best part of Telluride is it's compact. And if you go to any other ski area, it's really a gem because it's different and unique. Rudy Davison can be found in the Telluride area giving talks and leading hikes into history with the Telluride Historical Museum. For more information, visit telluridemuseum.org. This November, Colorado voters passed Proposition 123, a ballot measure which directs 0.1% of state income tax revenue towards affordable housing programs. Given San Miguel County's affordable housing focus, extra state funding would seem heaven sent. But County Manager Mike Bordonia says not so fast. In a written statement, Bordonia explains that the new funding aims to build housing for individuals earning 60% or less of an area's median income, also known as an AMI. This means that the state funding will go towards Colorado's neediest residents, earning around half of the state's average income. San Miguel County's biggest challenge, Bordonia says, is, quote, not our population earning under 60% AMI, but rather our missing middle, people that earn an average income but aren't close to being able to buy a home, unquote. With home prices so high in the Telluride area, an average income is not nearly enough money to buy a house. Even in Lawson Hill, the average home currently sells for $700,000, a steep price. So, while Proposition 123 will help tackle Colorado's housing woes writ large, most of the benefit will not be in San Miguel County, but rather in large urban areas where the state's neediest residents live. March into the new year on snowshoes at Ridgeway State Park, perhaps with a mug of cocoa in hand. 
Sunday morning, January 1st, Colorado Parks is leading a first-day hike on the Forest Discovery Path in Ridgeway. Free snowshoes and hot drinks will be on hand, but be sure to bring your Colorado Park Pass. The trail is roughly a mile long, and the hike begins at 10 a.m. Starting in the new year, employees in Colorado will see a new paycheck deduction as part of the state's paid family leave program. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Stacey Johnson of KGNU reports. Employers, employees in Colorado will start contributing to the voter-approved paid family and medical leave insurance program by splitting the 0.9% premium requirement of an employee's wage. Starting in January 2024, Colorado workers will begin having access to benefits under the state program that will allow them to have up to 12 weeks of paid leave when they or a family member experiences a serious health condition or situations such as a new child, including adoption and fostering, and safety needs coming from domestic violence or sexual assault. As part of the state program, employees will see a 0.45% wage deduction on their paychecks, while employers will pay the other half of the premium requirement. The new law does not require businesses with nine or fewer employees to contribute to the program, but employees are still subject to the deduction. For KGNU, I'm Stacy Johnson. December 30th marks the one-year anniversary of the Marshall Fire in Boulder County, which destroyed more than 1,000 homes. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's John Kellen brings us this report on how the community continues to grapple with the aftermath of the most destructive fire in Colorado history. Late on the morning of December 30th, 2021, Carol Billingham and her husband were in their Louisville home near Heritage Park, enjoying what Carol called a staycation. Only recently married, they were savoring a quiet morning together as they wrote in their journals. I came upstairs and I saw that, you know, the, the sky looked weird. It was orange and, and our hawk, I say our hawk, we have a hawk that lives in the neighborhood, was sitting on the fence very ominously um, and the winds were really, really strong. Carol says she could also smell smoke. I just knew something was wrong and um, my intuition told me to go downstairs and get packing tape and pack the uh, opening to our patio door and as I was doing it I thought this is strange but I listen when my intuition tells me to do something. Mary Wolf operated counseling and bookkeeping businesses out of her home in Spanish Hills in East Boulder. She was returning from a doctor's appointment around noon where she had just tested positive for COVID when she saw something that made her pull over to the side of the road. There was this big, huge plume of smoke, and I actually stopped and took a picture of it and was like, wow, that's, you know, really an anomaly. And then I started heading further up uh, McCaslin, turned left onto South Boulder Road to head to my home, and I realized that smoke was right behind my house. The fire was close, but still on the opposite side of Highway 36. And I actually saw the flames across 36. And I thought, wow, that's a huge fire, but it's not going to jump a six-lane concrete fire break, you know, the highway right there. But something told me, just get home and start packing. Immense smoke clouds filled the sky, and the flames were already burning through sparsely populated woodland and in Marshall, 
an unincorporated area nestled in open space northwest of Superior. Mary Wolf got to her home in Spanish Hills and called her housemate, who came straight home. We both started packing our cars, and 45 minutes later, the smoke had just consumed the house, and we couldn't even see driving out. And the only way I could see down the road, one road out of the neighborhood, was to look at the grass line on the road because the smoke was just so heavy and very scary. So we got to the bottom at South Boulder Road, and it was a traffic jam because, you know, 20,000 people from Louisville and Superior were just trying to evacuate. In this chaotic period, most found help wherever they could. Some went to an evacuation center set up at a YMCA in Lafayette, while others went to the homes of family or friends outside of harm's way. Carol Billingham, who'd seen the orange sky and the neighborhood hawk, went with her husband, first to her son and daughter-in-laws in Westminster, then to a hotel. She drew on her training as a women's empowerment coach to encourage those around her to stay calm. After we found a hotel to stay in, I watched everybody panicking in the lobby. I was very grounded, and, and I would go up and touch people and just say, you know, we're in this together. It's going to be okay. And just watching the panic around me, um, and again, just having that thought that, you know, it's, it'll be okay. We're, we're alive. We're out of the house. I have no idea what's happening. At that point, I hadn't seen any news footage or, or anything. I just knew that there was a fire. The morning after the fire... Mary Wolf's housemate drove to their Spanish Hills neighborhood while Mary stayed behind at the hotel they'd found. The housemate found the neighborhood entrance blocked off by police. And they wouldn't let her up our street. She had to, like, hike up the hill to go find our house. And she said she didn't even recognize the neighborhood, you know. She said it was like a war zone. And at 8.30 that next morning... Um, she sent me a video of our house just burnt down to the ground, and it was still smoldering. And I um, dropped to the floor just sobbing. Um, it's the most grief-strucken I think I've ever been in my life to realize everything you ever owned is just gone so quickly. thousand homes and seven commercial structures were lost to the Marshall Fire. Disaster recovery specialists recognize stages any community goes through in response to events like earthquakes, hurricanes, or wildfires. Elise Janish is one of the team leads for the Colorado Spirit team of mental health partners trained in psychological first aid and crisis counseling. We do typically see um, phases of community response. So we have, um, in, in the field, we kind of call community collective trauma. Some people, she says, are more impacted than others. Many experience anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, a difficulty concentrating, and increased substance use. More serious responses include suicidal thoughts. Anniversaries, especially the first one, 
can be emotional triggers. There's often right before an anniversary or one year mark, a, a like a, a surge of negative or low emotions um, because a lot of things will activate our memories about the event. Once that first year milestone passes, there's often an emotional steadying out, though not always. I would say for our community as a whole right now, there's definitely a feeling of tension and sadness and even frustration and anger among people people that I talk to. Elise Janish of Mental Health Partners says emotional recovery can vary widely. People recover differently. Everyone recovers differently and any traumatic event changes us fundamentally, right? It changes uh, how we understand the world and it changes our understanding of our place in it. And um, so we're going to continue to have reactions over time. Since losing her home in Spanish Hills, Mary Wolf has relocated to North Boulder. But after nearly 25 years in the city, she says the time has come to leave. Every day I come across something that I lost that I miss. And so, you know, that just doesn't go away, whether it's the anniversary or not. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow tonight with possible accumulations of 3 to 5 inches and a low around 20 degrees. Snow continues into Saturday and the forecast high is 35. Saturday night should be snowy and windy with a low around 30. 2 to 4 inches of accumulation is possible. Sunday, New Year's Day, could be snowy again with a high near 40 and wind gusts reaching 30 miles per hour. Snow should continue Sunday night with a low around 20. This has been the news for Friday, December 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday, January 2nd in observance of the new year. Our regularly scheduled programming will resume on Tuesday, January 3rd with Off the Record at 6 p.m. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, I'm Tabasun Siriki, the Behavioral Healthcare Coordinator at Tri-County Health Network. Are you a parent and feel concerned about the recent Healthy Kids survey results and want to know what you can do to help support the well-being of your child and the young people in our community? Then join us for Community Conversations at the Wilkinson Library on the second Tuesday of each month from 5.30 to 7 p.m. What are Community Conversations? We, the Behavioral Health Care team at Tri-County Health Network, along with CTC, Communities at Care, and the Wilkinson Library, have designed Community Conversations to be a monthly series of community-led discussions where everyone's perspective is heard from our youth, adults, and elders in a safe, open, and compassionate way. We bring together, in a positive atmosphere, expert, peer, and youth panelists and resources to create an inspiring, engaging, and empowering conversation experience. We take each topic from the survey and devote time to each one to peel back the layers on the challenges our youth and their parents are facing. Together, we discuss, learn, explore, share, brainstorm solutions, meditate, and journal. We are also grateful to have professional Spanish interpretation so that everyone can participate comfortably. Future sessions will cover sex ed for parents, bullying, mental health, LGBTQI+, diversity, equity, inclusivity, intersectionality, sexual harassment, cultivating heartfelt communication, and more. 
after the launch of the first Community Conversations monthly series this December on substance use disorder and mental health, this is what our community members had to say. Excellent. Felt welcome, safe, heard, and supported. Want to hear more from our community members about their needs. Our next conversation is on Sex Ed for Parents, Tuesday, January 10th, 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the library in Telluride. Spanish interpretation will be provided. Refreshments will be served. This conversation is open to high school-aged youth and adults. We'll see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.